It's a jackalope carnival. Jack, jack, jackalope. Jackalope Carnival. Hello, and welcome to Jackalope Carnival, a podcast where we look at human belief through myth, history, the paranormal, and the downright odd. I'm Becca. And I'm Eric. And we'll be your host through the sideshow of stories. Today's episode is pretty much on the foray into the downright odd. So we're looking a little bit at weird history today. Well, actually quite a lot. I don't know. We think we might have to have a disclaimer for this one. We're usually real PG. Uh, We don't tend to stray, intend to stray out of that today, Eric, but... Well, I mean, the guy who we're talking about didn't want us to stray outside of that, but he was pretty frank about it. So if you don't want to hear stories about or have anyone in your vicinity hear stories about um, good vibrations, um, shebop, uh Not, I won't say we're talking about something sexually explicit, but we're in the wheelhouse today. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. self-service filling stations. So we're not, well, you know, I was gonna say we're not talking about something wholesome, but really (laughs) when I think about wholesome, I think about maybe sitting around a campfire with friends and family, toasting marshmallows, making s'mores, like, right. That's wholesome. And s'mores are an American treat of gooey toasted marshmallows, melted chocolate, and well, sweet graham crackers. That's Mm -hmm. innocent family fun, but that's where you're going with that one. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's where she's going. But to the graham crackers namesake. Sylvester Graham and his followers who are called the Grahamites. This is not family fun. This actually activity that I just described would have been thought of as decadent and even morally reprehensible, especially the modern incarnation of the Graham Cracker. So it's really far from its namesake, which was Graham bread invented by Sylvester Graham, because Graham crackers today have this shockingly tantalizing honey and cinnamon flavor. So maybe I'm exaggerating here with the cinnamon being shocking and morally reprehensible, but not so much. Sylvester Graham was a 19th century temperance missionary and Presbyterian minister who turned into a food purity crusader. And he did believe that certain foods like cinnamon, spices in general really, were too stimulating and thus undermined our nation's health and morality. Um, He says this, and I'm going to quote him from one of his lectures. He says, all kinds of stimulating and heating substances, high seasoned food, rich dishes, the free use of flesh, and even the excess of ailment, all more or less, and to a very great degree, increase the excitability and sensibility of the genital organs. And augment their influence on the functions of organic life and on the intellectual and moral faculties. Mm-hmm. And I think you all can see where we're going yeah. with this. Mm-hmm. These foods lead us humans down a slippery slope of wanton behavior. In short, Graham's basically saying cinnamon is a gateway drug. Graham slippery and his followers, mm-hmm. yeah, slippery slope to cinnamon to. Chives, I don't know. 
So Graham and his Grahamites believe that sweets and spices and spicy activities outside of a prescribed once a month in marriage, um, and that's the activities, not the cinnamon, just stay away from that, were killing the moral fiber and health of the normally God-fearing people of America. So he's saying he doesn't want straight people putting their fingers all over the cinnamon stick. Basically, that's Mm -hmm. what he's saying. Um, Well, he's saying they are, but he doesn't want it. But you can cure this by eating a bland vegetarian diet that he has featuring his graham bread, which is a whole grain, handmade, dense loaf. Take cold showers and you have to eat at the same time each day, Uh, but also be cheerful. And this is going to get you back to health and morality. Yep. So Graham's telling us that an innocent bowl of chili or maybe some curry, probably in his time, we're talking like tepid soup with some pepper in it, to be honest, (laughs) (laughs) because he is a man of the 19th century. But all of this leads to one obvious thing, at least obvious if you're a particularly buttoned up preacher man of the early 19th century. In Graham's words, that thing He calls it either venereal excess or self-pollution. So maybe you're not familiar with this term self-pollution, but you may know it as spanking the monkey, flogging your log, having a date with Rosie Palmer, milking the lizard, being the bishop, taking matters into your own hand, or as the greatest love of all, self-love. I mean, Whitney, Whitney Houston did say that learning to love yourself was the greatest love of all, Eric. Happy Valentine's Day. So Sylvester Graham, this guy's born the youngest of 17 children in New England. His dad is in his 70s when he's born and he dies shortly after. So his mother is left with 17. They probably all didn't survive, but I'm guessing enough did that this was a pretty stressful situation. They said that she had mental illness. I couldn't find anything that got too much into that, but it's going to be a rocky beginning. Wait, and she had 17 children? 17 children. I wonder what she instilled into her son's head. A- well, about I, mean, I don't think- too much activity and how that could be really bad right, for you. Right, that you could have 17 children yeah, and no go kidding. crazy. I bet, I, I bet she didn't wasn't a big fan of, of certain carnal activities after the 17th kid. Well, I mean, that he never spoke out about that, though. You could have your- you could have your kind of activities within the confines of a marriage once a month for the process of procreation. So he is not saying you can't have 17 children. But, you know, yeah, probably having that many children and having his mother go into the asylum, which, again, I haven't really found evidence of that, but there's it's being referred to in a lot of his biography material. Look, I'm um, just saying, if you had 17 kids you might not have the most positive opinion about the thing that made those kids happen that's all i'm just saying you're probably like <laughs> i hate my life and you know and you're probably telling your kids this growing up and your kids grow up to make graham crackers so that you don't it's all eric solved the mystery I did. well so his mother is is gone by the time he's a teenager all that's all we know We know that he works a variety of odd jobs. Some people say he worked in a bar for a little bit of the time. And at the time he's working these odd jobs, we have a temperance movement that's really gaining speed. And we do know that in 1826, he becomes ordained as a Presbyterian minister. And then 
in 1830, he ends up moving his family to Philadelphia, where he becomes a full-time speaker for the Pennsylvania Temperance Society. So he's involved with the temperance movement. He talks in these lectures on abstaining from alcohol, of course, because that's what the step temperance movement's all about, but clean living in general. So temperance was often linked with morality and sort of grows into some other things that we can, you can discuss amongst yourselves. But... Oh, I'm going um, to go into vivid detail. Good, good. See, mm-hmm. so, and it, and it really, this is... <laughs> <laughs> You know, so he's talking about clean living. He's talking about brotherly love, for which Philadelphia is named, and the this growing a better society. And he begins to vehemently speak against self-pollution, the greatest love of all. And an excerpt from Graham's lectures on chastity, specially intended for the serious consideration of young men and parents, that's what it's called. He says this, I love the good opinion of my fellow creatures and am deeply pained at their censure, but more strongly and fervently do I love the real welfare of mankind. So see brotherly love here. And still more deeply, I'm pained at the errors and calamities of the human race. We're, we're just, we're bad. Freely then do I consent to forfeit the good opinion of many and bear the censures and bitter reviling of more for the sake of doing a great and lasting and extensive good. So he's going to talk about something unpopular and then he just launches right in it. In the first place, self-pollution is actually a very great and rapidly increasing evil in our country. It is indeed all that I have described in the following lecture. Yes, far more than I dare describe, lest I should do harm, for there are some things that may not even be named. How does he know it's on the increase? Like, is he peeping in windows? Like what? Yeah. Yeah, wonder, because he talks about, for someone who doesn't want to talk about it, he talks about it quite a bit. Like, I'm, I'm immediately calling to question his, uh, his, his oh. conclusion there. He's a man of his time. The society and time which he lives in is this rapidly changing time period, right? Religious ideas are changing. We've talked about the Second Great Awakening and the Great Awakenings in general in other of our episodes, but the nation's going through this wave of religious ideas and new new religious ideas that are Protestant, evangelical, more DIY and hands-on than in a view of religion. Yeah, I, I you see what I did there? Hands-on. That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, DIY. <laughs> the population's moving in a way from an agrarian lifestyle. They're moving more to cities. This is a, a change, a shift into the modern era. Um, it's already started in this, you know, late 1700s. So he's living in the middle of the shift. And this is, you know, where he starts to reach his stride. There's these new problems, crowding, and then mass-produced and adulterated food, which we're still seeing today, right? We still have food adulteration problems and disease is spreading quicker. So these new problems, one of them is a cholera epidemic in the 1830s, just as he's starting to reach his stride. And, you know, as people grow scared, they don't know what's going on, this new epidemic, they are willing to try anything if it'll help. <laughs> or not try anything is the case. <laughs> yeah, and, or not try or abstain from many things. Right. Honestly, this desperation, ironically, Graham's going to have later in his life. And so for all he says now, we're going to find that later he's filled with that same desperation. <laughs> I bet he is. <laughs> he's real desperate. <laughs> 
Eric PG. So for the most part, the diet that Graham advocates is pretty sound. It's a vegetarian diet. You know, try to make as many foods as you can. Use whole grains. Eat in moderation. It's pretty similar to what folks who might follow food advocate Michael Pollan might know as eat food, mostly plants, not too much. And people still follow some of the ideas that Graham had. And if he would have stopped there, we probably wouldn't be discussing it, right? But clearly he did not. He went in excess. Being a religious man, uh, he brings his beliefs on spiritual and moral pollutants. So we get this view of morality that's tied to religion and morality combined with food. In his worldview, sex only exists in the bounds of marriage and overstimulating foods can jeopardize that sanctity, which I find kind of offensive when we start to talk about spices and morals um, because I find that to be so... I don't know. Uh, I, I know that once discussing the laws of Manu or talking to someone who was a member of the International Society of Krishna Consciousness, ISKCON, um, this is not a, a slag on ISKCON, but they were telling me about the pollutants of garlic and onions. And I'm like, my grandma ate garlic and onions every day of her life. Do you think she's polluted? <laughs> I think not. This is really offensive to me. So just that idea that, you know, spicy food means spicy people. It, it's... Your grandma lived to a nice, healthy age, too. Yeah, about 100. So right. garlic and onions, hurrah. Yeah, so this overly stimulating food, it's, you know, based in his own ideas of culture. You know, the temperance movement that he advocates is based on real issues as well. Like I said, there were food adulterations with some things, and there's also real problems with alcohol in society, correct? Mm. Very much so. And, you know, honestly, if you're going to stand up in front of a group of people and it's 1830 and you're like, I got to talk about like the most serious moral issue of our time. And that is what people decide to do with their own bodies and the privacy of their own home. And you're not mentioning the fact that like, you know, one fifth of the population is literally someone else's property. I think you may have your, um, your morality a little off kilter. <laughs> Just hmm, throwing that think? out there. Well, and you know, when he's talking about these evangelical ideas, he's combining them with dietary prescriptions, like, right, dietary advice and religion isn't new, but we're getting secular health advice because he's not saying that it's religious. He's saying that it's not religious. It's just what scientific, which, by the way, Graham has no background in science, no background in diet. And he's giving you this advice that isn't secular. And while this, like I said, is not new, I think that this is new to give religious dietary advice and pretend it's not religious. I don't know. I really don't know if that's new or not, but it seems like it wouldn't have happened before because only at this place and time would it have been necessary. So are you saying that science is maybe getting a foothold as a place of authority and that's what he's kind of capitalizing on? Absolutely. But also, because if you have a country that has a state religion, you don't really have to play like it's not religious. <laughs> and, you know, at this time, they're getting so many different branches of religion, of, of Christianity coming out that you wouldn't necessarily want to align with one, because it wouldn't be quite as popular. Got it. <laughs> Discuss amongst yourselves. So at this time, along with this cholera epidemic and other diseases, Americans are having these food adulteration issues like sawdust and plaster are finding their way into bread, swill milk, which is this low nutrient 
weird looking milk that happens because cows are being fed on byproducts from distilleries. This becomes a problem because they're finding that this weird looking milk sells better if they lace it with plaster and thicken it with starch and eggs. So people are buying this for their children to be healthy. And this is what they're getting. Kids are getting sick from these things. And Graham knows this and he's against it as any sane person would be. So people are really ready for their concerns to be heard and he's ready to answer them. You know, he's kind of like his own influencer, one of the early influencers, but he gets this cult-like following and he publishes this book that is called A Treatise on Bread and Bread Making. It's published in 1837. It becomes wildly popular. I mean, so popular, it almost causes a riot by bakers and butchers. They come to where he's speaking and they're protesting, but Gramites start throwing things from the window <laughs> to <laughs> dissuade them. And so they disperse. But, you know, who wouldn't want to read this book called A Treatise on Bread and Bread Making? Just scandalous. Riveting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scintillating. Bestseller. We'll have none of that here. So. This, you know, of course, is taking off the bakers and it's taking off the butchers. And his menu is really restrictive. It not only talks about a vegetarian diet, but that you should mostly eat cold food. So warming your food, you don't want that. Don't eat meat. Um, He says, if man subsisted wholly on uncooked food, raw or cold food, he would not only be preserved from improper concentrations, but also for pernicious combinations of ailmentary substances. There's a band name, I guess. (laughs) Ailmentary (laughs) substances? Yeah, that's a good one. That's punk. Definitely a punk band. Why not? Pernicious combinations. Uh, That sounds like a a jazz band, maybe a jazz combo. (laughs) A really bad jazz combo. I'm for it. Okay. (laughs) So, again... So he knows, you know, he talks about don't have spices because these can arouse certain feelings. He says sensual feelings. And he knows that self-pollution is a touchy subject. (laughs) See what I did there? We're going to keep doing this, aren't we? (laughs) But he feels so strongly that engaging in hand-to-gland combat is what's tearing down society that he just has to talk about it. But he talks about it, like, all the time. And again... (laughs) Like all the time. <laughs> and again, he says in another one of his lectures, he says, I am fully aware of the delicacy and difficulty attending the discussion of the subject of the following lecture. I feel like that really should have been our disclaimer, Eric. <laughs> maybe maybe we're giving it now. <laughs> and have seriously and solemnly considered all the objections which can be made against his publication. But I am also aware of the immense importance that young men should be correctly and properly instructed in this subject. He who is in any manner endeavors to excite the sensual appetites and arouse the unchaste passions of youth is one of the most heinous offenders against the welfare of mankind. So he also really wants us to know that women are not immune to this. So he says that mostly he goes and he speaks to mothers so that mothers can be, you know, all up in their son's business about this and stop it. But that would work. Women are not immune. Hmm. 
you know, he says that this folly and, you know, polishing the pearl can cause even greater social and personal issues. Did he say the phrase heinous offenders? Oh, yeah, he absolutely did. Because that is a pretty good punk, punk band name, actually. Okay. I wouldn't All be surprised right. if that didn't I'm exist. I'm for it. Could that just be like, maybe like the, you could have the others as the hit? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Much to ponder. So anyway, so, your mom's getting all up involved in the fact that she doesn't want you checking into that danger zone. Yeah. And so he says this, and this is this just cracks me up. Woman is by nature far more chaste than man in the present state of the world, but it is possible to deprave even woman. This consideration should lead mothers to watch with great care over the physical as well as mental and moral education and habits of their daughters. For every mother ought to know that if any possible means, her daughter should become so depraved as to practice self-pollution. All that is said in the following lecture concerning the dreadful effects of that vice on males is strictly true of females. Uh, This is my favorite part. Terrible evils of this kind have existed in female boarding schools in other countries. Not here. <laughs> Clasp your pearls. Where is he getting his information from? That's what I really want to know. Like he's oh, talking with he such a, authority. He did a tour of foreign boarding schools, clearly. Oh, <laughs> that sounds like an awkward interview to be having then, Mr. But, Graham. But heaven forbid that the luxuries of the table and other depraving customs of our artificial life should ever make such a Sodom of our beloved land. I'm I'm enjoying I'm, that. I got nothing. I really enjoy his 19th century language as well. The way he puts he paints a picture. <laughs> So, again, you got to watch what you eat, because if you don't, you know, you might love yourself a little too much. Graham is a prolific writer, and so he not only gives these lectures and writes books, but he publishes the Graham Journal of Health and Longevity in order to more, you know, rapidly carry his ideas. And... I think it's really important, again, to mention that he's not a nutritionist. He's not a doctor. You know, Eric, you're asking the good questions. Like, where is he getting this information? Which I guess a lot of people didn't ask this. Um, You know, he's a food guru. That's his apparent title, food minister. And he's pretty sanctimonious. And normally, I I mean, I'm not going to judge him. I'm going to let his own words here tell us. But he... Something I find particularly untasteful, tasteless, but you know, that's right up his alley. It comes from this journal where he is giving his journal of health and longevity, and he gives an obituary of one of his followers. Oh, I don't like where this is going at all. I don't like this. His follower is named A.F. Kinney, and A.F. Kinney dies a young man at the age of 35. Now, the Graham method says you can live to 100. So who killed Kinney? Well, at this point, I think you can guess because in case you can't, Graham really lays it out for you. So who do you think Graham, what would Graham credit for this young strapping man to die at 35? Well, Hannah you guessed and her it. sisters? You guessed it. He tells us that Kinney was a happy lad who grew up big and strong, but at the age of 14, they set him into hard labor on his family farm. He writes... In consequence of his rapid growth, the excessive labor and the errors in his diet, nearly universal in our country. And that practice, 
which is secretly sapping the constitutions of our youth. I really wish he hadn't used the word sapping there, but and filling our colleges and no. our pulpits with invalids, our land with disease, our lunatic in- asylums with inmates, our graveyards with the untimely dead. His health was destroyed. His robust frame shrunk under the action of disease. His spine and the bones of his chest became greatly distorted. His body was much deformed and his manly stature considerably diminished. From that time until his death, he was always an invalid. Wow. Doesn't just so you know, folks, it doesn't just make you go blind. Um, This lovely obit tells us that he can't do farm work due to bad nutrition. So AF Kinney, no farm work, bad nutrition, taunting the one-eyed weasel made him so weak that he had to become a teacher. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Literally. So he had to become a teacher. And it also details his bowel issues in (laughs) great um, and picturesque uh, detail. So, um, you know, with friends like that, you don't need enemies. And But you might need an enema. Well, and that's ironic that you say that, Eric. Oh, I because, don't think it's ironic. <laughs> because while A.F. Kinney didn't need enemas, according to uh, Graham's <laughs> obit, uh, Graham did. Graham propertyed that the that, you know, following your advice gives you longevity and health. And he says this, he states, if mankind always lived precisely as they ought to live, they would, as a general rule, most certainly pass through the several stages of life from infancy to extreme old age without sickness and distress, without agony and pain and fall asleep peacefully. So was the proof of the Graham system in the pudding, as they say? Or the frosting on the beater? Sorry. (laughs) the creamy pudding well not exactly so graham had been diagnosed with an illness at the age of 16 it may have been tuberculosis Uh, some people say it is some biographies say it wasn't Um, but he had credited his system with his health that he had recovered but you know it's known that if you have tuberculosis and it it goes away for a time, it can come back. And so people speculate that that might've been what happened. So in his fifties, he starts to get sick again. He ends up dying at the age of 57, but toward the last years of his life, he kind of gives up the Graham system. He's desperate and he tries eating meat on his doctor's orders. He tries taking hot baths and opium enemas. And so again, remember, this is someone who is in the temperance movement, and he's taking opium. He dies uh, September 11th, 1851. And when he dies, a lot of the Grahamite movement starts to fade away. But this doesn't stop people in the future from being influenced by his dietary advice. And I think, Eric, you have a pretty good example of that. Do you know who was influenced by his advice? John Harvey Kellogg. Oh. That Kellogg. The one who he he and his brother both claimed to invent the cornflake. Neither one of them did, but they both claimed it and fought over it. It was a thing. He was born 1852, so a year after Graham kicks the bucket. Waxes the... Nope. Kicks the bucket. He... (laughs) uh, John Harvey Kellogg is born. Now, Kellogg is going to live longer. Actually, he lives a pretty healthy life, truth be told. He's going to live into his 90s. Um, his early 90s. But in the meantime, he's going to be most famous for being the superintendent of the Battle Creek Sanitarium. 
This was made famous both by the T. Corgesson Boyle novel and the movie that came out a year later, The Road to Wellville. Did you ever see that with Anthony Hopkins? I did. Didn't it have Sarah Jessica Parker's husband, whose name I can't remember because I have COVID brain fog? <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite quote from the movie is... Um, <laughs> Quote, my own stoles, sir, are gigantic and have no more odor than a hot biscuit. Oh, God. <laughs> and the best part, apparently, is... Smelling the hot biscuit sounds like another euphemism. <laughs> for, for, for whatever it is, I don't want to know what the actual thing is that it is a euphemism for. Thank you very much. This is going to be definitely getting a PG-13 rating. Uh... So, yeah, um... <laughs> this is this is definitely a polluting episode. So the funny thing is that T. Corgesson Boyle, the uh, the guy who wrote the book, took a lot of lines of dialogue for his book and therefore the movie uh, directly from uh, Kellogg's writings, and he wrote quite a bit. So it seems like it should be kind of like you know he really played up this eccentric character, but in reality, the guy really was. Oh, I don't doubt it after reading mm. the bit to you from Graham's <laughs> writings. But let, let's get this part out of the way real quick, because this is actually um, what is old is new again. John Harvey Kellogg is a total white supremacist and racist, and it's gross. And I just wanted to say that out loud, because it's not just a little bit of his story. Like, he's part of clubs for eugenics that really support segregation. And it's, yeah. I'm not making any apologies for it. So lest I make him sound like this eccentric, lovable grandfather type of guy, there's a definite real um, part of him that you cannot morally support, or at least I can't. Well, and you know, a lot of this food purity movement that Graham's involved in sort of evolves into people who are, are supportive of the eugenics movement. And there's groups today that are advocating against touching oneself that also have a problem with white supremacy. So like they have said, a problem with white supremacy or they're white supremacy. Well, from where I'm standing. Yeah, I guess they don't have a problem with it. But I'm <laughs> like, I don't them. think they have a problem with white supremacy. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> but yeah, they advocate that have you heard about the no fat movement? No. You are a better person for it. Don't go looking that up. It's a whole plank of this online extremist movement. And so yeah, John Harvey Kellogg can be their poster boy. So there you have it. He did have some other things going on besides just not liking whacking the weasel and being a racist. He also was a vegetarian. He will create the world's, or at least the United States, not the world's, the United States first meat analog. Actually, meat analogs have been used in Asia. That is a band name. What are you talking about? <laughs> meat analog? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this episode's just ripe with them. <laughs> but if it's meat beat analog, it'd be so <laughs> help us um <laughs> it's made of peanuts because you can't make this stuff up wait please go <laughs> this is gonna be a fun one to edit eric yeah i know it's gonna be a mess <laughs> um he also had a recipe for peanut butter that he liked although again peanut butter was a pretty ancient thing but he had his own thing going on with the peanut butter. So there's all that. But then on top of this, he was Sorry. definitely... You said that. I'm like, me and peanut butter. We got a thing going on. 
<laughs> Please edit that. <laughs> I, I mean, make it louder, maybe. But <laughs> yeah, he was definitely in the to uh, stir in the skippy, if you know what I mean. No, he wasn't. He was actually against that because, like Graham, before him, he also thought that people, men specifically, should not be into. Can we settle upon a thing? Talking turkey? <laughs> nope, we're not gonna. Okay, so we're just gonna keep going with this. He was not an advocate of going into business for oneself. He was not, not, into, a, the not into the DIY movement. He was not into the DIY movement. As a matter of fact, he was a total advocate of abstinence. He thought that people shouldn't have sex at all, and it is theorized that he himself, even though married, may have died a virgin. And even though he adopted an astonishing 42 children in his oh, lifetime, my goodness. they were all adopted. Well, 17 children, there's more than that. That was nothing. Yeah, yeah. He just, and you know, he lived to be 91. So I'm assuming he just keeps adopting new ones as the next ones, generations move out. I really don't know about all that. I do know that he ran his sanatorium and it had some weird stuff going on there. So I'm sorry. I'm not into Freud or anything like that. However, I think that if you decide to not exercise the normal faculties of humans, things can start going a little weird on you. He was really into, and I'm giving a chance for folks to turn this off. This is your last chance. He was really into butt stuff. The thing that really made me wince. Did he have opium enemas? Oh, it's so much worse. Oh, do I want to hear this? I'm going to check. Becca checks out from the podcast now. <laughs> he had a machine in his sanatorium that No, could... <laughs> no. Beep. Okay, I'll just no. can, I'll just give can I just no. can I just give the the quantity of water that could be moved in 1 minute? If you must. 15 quarts. Mm, no. Yeah. No. That is so much worse. That could hurt a man. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. Or yogurt. No. By the gallons. No. That's Eric, not me. That's is, not me. This That's is me. so much worse than talking about basting the ham. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. But no, he was, I mean, this was like one of the okay, services. Okay, so this is one of his things that, that he did for medical reasons. It was, no, it was sanatorium. like, so the sanatorium was like a vacation spot. Like it had these ads. I was looking at a few of them where it's like, you know, come spend your vacation here. We'll like take care of you. You can go play tennis or have somebody shoot 15 gallons of water up your No, room. no. Beep. <laughs> and they had like rooms like dedicated to this. Like it was mm. part of the services provided. It was a little crazy. Another thing, and this, this strikes me as just sort of, this is so innocent because this man obviously knew very little about how anything sexual worked on pretty much any level, apparently. Even though he did not advocate for any kind of self-pleasure, he had these handheld vibrating devices. <laughs> and if you were a woman who was coming to a hysteria. Yeah. And you, it, you that could, was common. Unfortunately, they had vibrating saddles. Fortunately. <laughs> yeah. So there was, you know, it, it, I'm just saying services provided men and women were, were vastly different. And bizarre. Mm-hmm. There you have it. You could get the whole divinals package if you wanted it. Other than that, he invented granola. I guess that's a good thing. I like granola well enough. 
Did he really invent granola? He was one of the people who did. So yeah. there's a couple people kind of doing the granola thing around the same time. And his name for it is the one that stuck. Although there's several other recipes that are very similar. How did he feel about like honey and sugar? Off the top of my head, I didn't run into that specifically. Although he seems to be just more of like a, he doesn't seem to be quite as restrictive in his diet as Graham was, although he yeah. did practice vegetarianism. And I think, you know, the whole, the whole grains, whole grains as something, you know, healthful and that prevent you from, you know, joining a one man band. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whole grains. <laughs> oh, man. It keeps a man from getting too stiff. And yeah, so that's uh, that's what that's what this is all about here. Yep. Um, oh, there's other things, though, that he actually was a proponent of that aren't horrifying. Um, like he thought that smoking was terrible. So a little bit ahead of his time there. Uh, and that did not allow the use of tobacco at his sanatorium in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, also, he did not like alcohol at all, which was kind of like a thing for the whole progressive movement. And, you know, that's going to... Yeah, again, this mm -hmm. is like this these ideas of purity kind of yeah. play through. And the progressive <laughs> movement was, was spectacularly racist. That's the really funny thing, because we think of progressive politics today, and most people think of... You know, people who are opposed to like systems of privilege, et cetera, et cetera. But man, in the 1800s, that was just not the case. Well, I was going to say is what what's interesting is is that we still have these purity of food movements that are a little extreme like this. So mm -hmm. this isn't something that is gone. It's just found different forms of these restrictive diets that are you know not only pure for cleansing your body, but then somehow have this moral attachment to them. Right. And so I think it's really interesting to look at the history of the beliefs behind it because it might make us take a second look before we you know go on that lemon juice and cayenne pepper <laughs> diet. So yeah, that's all I got to say about 19th century health and wellness. I'm glad I'm not there. Um, the oh, leeches, yeah. by comparison, seem so much better, honestly. <laughs> yeah, give me the leeches instead of sending me to the sanatorium. Oh, my gosh. 15 quarts, Becca. Of leeches. All right. <laughs> well, that's all we got today. Thank, Thank you God. for listening. All right. <laughs> Take care, folks, for real. Jackalope Carnival. That was just for you.